I'm Ted Flanagan, and with me today is Michael Ware, a fellow Ecomotion employee. He's our senior solar specialist. Ecomotion's mission is the cost-effective greening of cities, corporations, and campuses. For these podcasts, we'll be focusing on people in motion. In fact, Ecomotion's theme song, the refrain is Ecomotion, People in Motion. These podcasts are going to shed light on and get insights from leading green thinkers, their works, their passions. What keeps your engine charged? Michael, welcome to the podcast. We've been working together for 10 years, or almost 10 almost years. 10 years yes. And that's a, that's a long time to have worked together. And uh, I, I was reflecting back, I think, to when we very first met at maybe Alt Build in Santa Monica. Correct. And you somehow came up to me and said you were interested in sort of a change up in your career. What was going on in your, in your head back then? Well, I had uh, decided that my previous career had played itself out. I was I was uh, writing for television, and uh, it just became more and more frustrating to compete with all the younger writers to chase fewer and fewer jobs. It seemed to me so. I, I really took a, a year to think about where I wanted to go, and uh, renewables and climate were very attractive to me. And I kind of got to solar because I was interested in uh, electric cars. I thought that was the wave of the future. And then I wondered where all this power was going to come from. And I read some articles talking about solar energy. And, and then solar kind of took over and became more preeminent in my mind. And I, I thought that was really the thing to jump on and investigate. And, and I, I wanted to pick something that would you know, take me into retirement. Which I keep thinking is farther and <laughs> farther away. I'm glad. I'm glad yeah. to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, just uh, it, it became fascinating to me, and uh, and so I wanted to learn more about it. So I was I was reading and going to events, and uh, I I learned about Solar Santa Monica, and then I learned about this uh, you know alt built symposium that was at the airport. Yeah. At Barker Hangar. The hangar. Uh, I remember that. Santa Monica, and you were on the dais as well as Stuart Cooley, who was the uh, energy efficiency engineer in Santa Monica, and so I, I went to both of you uh, afterwards and, and said, hey, I'm, what do I do? I'm really interested in this, in this industry. You took me over to, uh, there was Herba City booth, and you introduced me to Herb Mendelson, remember that, yeah. and, uh, and suggested that I, you know, ask the same questions of Herb. And, uh, you know, Stuart was very interested in me. As it turned out later, uh, Stuart was, was really more interested in, in uh, developing his own comedy skills. And he liked the fact that I was a comedy writer. <laughs> so, you know, he, he definitely befriended me and, you know, and, we, and we talked. But, uh, yeah, that was the genesis of it. And so, then, so then you did go to Perma City. I did. Maybe even a few weeks thereafter. And started yeah. to work for a solar company. Uh, yeah, I, my, my thought was, was that I would just make myself available. I would, I would volunteer. I, I wanted to learn and I had no compunction about just, you know, 
lending my time and getting inside and finding out how it worked. Um, I figured with my skill set, I would I would aim at sales. I, I don't have a technical background. I don't have an engineering background, and I assumed that that's kind of the positioning. It would, it would be you know selling solar and extolling its benefits, not uh, you know working on increasing cell efficiency. Uh, you know, for a, for a German scientific or engineering. Well, but how so, did that go? I mean, I know you were there for about a year. Um, I, I like to tell people it wasn't your cup of tea, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was your cup of tea. It wasn't that it wasn't my cup of tea, but it was uh, it was an interesting company. You know, John Port is is uh, you know runs Perma uh, City, and, and it, it's amazing how far that company has developed. Because when I worked with them. Uh, he was literally uh, using the space of his his wife's uh, botanical garden and nursery. It was literally outdoors between two buildings, and he had some awnings and to provide shade. And that those that was his office. Um, but I, you know, I, I was just trying really hard to to understand everything. And one great thing about being a per, per city was all the reps would come by. So. You know, the, the rep from Sharp Solar would come and do a little symposium about what made their cells better. And then maybe somebody from an inverter company would come and from racking companies. So it was a great way to, to learn inside. Um, what I started doing from Herb was mostly the, the paperwork that was annoying him. There, there was a number of, of steps you would do to analyze somebody's potential rebate. And I began taking over that work for him. And then... Uh, Herb was in, in the process of doing a lot of little symposiums. He would he would buy people like a real estate office or architect office and say, "Hey, I'll, I'll bring you lunch." He'd bring a tray of Subway sandwiches and you know let me give you my solar pitch and tell you why you should work with us when you're developing for your client. So I would join him on those expeditions or go pick up the sandwiches and, and, and meet him and help him. Um, so. You know, there were there were a number of really talented people in the in the company, and I, I started learning more and more. Um, they were also part of the Solar Santa Monica program, and while I worked for them, I continued to volunteer for Solar Santa Monica as well. And that's when you know you, I had I had lunch with with your brother Russell, and he gave me a lot of tips and pointers. And and at that time, you were very open to volunteers. Not that you weren't now. It's probably just a common theme with you. You were open to volunteers. So, uh, you know, I would come in the, in the booth. Uh, there was often something at a farmer's market or, or an event. And uh, I would just help hand out literature and answer people's basic questions. Because now I'm, I'm fairly good at answering basic questions. If they don't get too technical, I can guide homeowners through the, the steps to going solar and the values and, and so forth. So... I think that positioned me well so that when Russell left and you did have a job opening, uh, I, I was familiar to you. I was familiar to uh, the people at Solar Santa Monica, like Susan Mundbus. And um, I, I kind of like the idea of, of moving from uh, sales to, uh, you know, the more objective voice or just kind of the role that... that uh, uh, Ecomotion place in general, being the owner's rep and not having to sell as much as just, you know, explain and, and guide and, and uh, be a little more um, 
uh, you know, open about the values of lots of different products and lots of different suppliers. So that that appealed to me. The owners, the the honest broker, as we right. as we like to call right. it. Right. And before we lose the point, you know, this whole notion of volunteering at organizations where you want to work or in industries where you want to work, I think, really needs to be underscored. I, I know it, it. There's a financial reality that not everybody can volunteer, but. Um, it seems like a very important point is that if you know where you want to go, that you just immerse yourself in that and make yourself valuable, make yourself known as, as you did, because when Russell moved off to Vermont, uh, it was, it was obvious uh, that, that even, even uh, despite your pension for using the solar pathfinder and antiquated <laughs> technology, it was obvious, it was obvious that you were the right guy. So you came to EcoMotion, it's been almost nine years we talked about the honest broker role that we've had. We don't sell anything other than our services, our, our intelligence. And what would you say would have been your biggest accomplishments? I mean, when you think about the 10 years and you think about what you've done uh, and all the people that you've touched, which projects or aspects of the job bubble up to the top? Well, um, kind of a couple of things. One, in, in my personal growth, just mastering some some big projects and, and one of the first big projects was we had an opportunity to help uh, you know the capital group go solar in Irvine and and that was we were starting our analysis in 2009 so I hadn't I hadn't been with the company it was it was about a year and a half at that point and that was a pretty big project and so you know, there we're doing financial calculations for a financial company. <laughs> so you'd think that they would, they would, you know, be real sticklers about, about, you know, what we were doing. But um, by that time, I was able to, you know, assess their situation. I knew enough about, you know, how solar performed. I knew enough about the type of, of, of rates. They were all uh, SCE meters and rates. And I, I, I knew enough about that solar performance. I was beginning to, to, to jump on pieces of information that were going to make it more valuable, like understanding the value of option R. It was all kind of coming together at that time. In fact, option R was, was being promulgated. Well, I, I wouldn't even say that. It wasn't even being pushed. It was, it was suddenly revealed uh, in the summer of 2009 to no fanfare. Uh, and I think I, I was one of the early recognizers that, hey, there's this great thing that, that it's going to make solar pay off a lot better. Um, and it, it was, so it was very satisfying uh, helping organize that, that project. And, and, you know, we put out an RFP and had a lot of the top companies bidding for that job. And we were involved in the selection process and wound up finding, you know, a company that, that, that really did them a good job. It, that was a funny thing because if you remember in that project, there were um, kind of the, the codes and covenants of the, of the Irvine company, or yeah, and and they didn't want to see can't modules. see any solar anywhere. Yeah, there. yeah. So so Drew, my colleague, and I were up on the shade structures that existed already, uh, putting uh, sample modules and then scooting them back to see at what point they wouldn't be visible from the street, and uh, and I remember taking. Uh, my son's uh, little uh, wooden block set up up there with me, so I could mount the solar panels. It's okay. How far could they stand off the the uh, 
the shave structures and not be seen and how far would the setback have to be. So it was just, that was a, a great project to, to plunge into. So that was, that was one thing that I, I thought was a good accomplishment. And, and another, uh, hopefully it's still working to this day, was helping the Santa Monica School District get solar because they had put it out an RFP and only had two companies respond and both of them responded to it with a price that was going to be far more than they were paying in electricity bills now. So uh, it, it just foundered. And when, when we got involved, kind of through the Solar Santa Monica program to take a look at this, we realized that with the advent of Option R, there, there might be a middle ground. And, uh, and, and you know, we helped create that and, and then made board presentations and, and did analysis so that the board could be comfortable about moving forward. And it ultimately provided you know, three quarters of a megawatt to nine elementary schools in the district. So, uh, I, you know, you're raising the, the, the you raised this point a couple of times with option R. Yeah. And, and it really underscores the importance of understanding rate structures because, you know, most people think, uh, you got a good roof or you got a good parking lot for solar. You got a place to put a ground mount system. Mm -hmm. That's half the equation, right? Where you put it. And then what's the value of the offset? And you've really become a, Probably never thought you would become this knowledgeable about utility rates. No, it, it, it reminds me of, of uh, you know, one, one job I had going through college was, was a night auditor at hotels. And the night auditor usually is the one who, at the time anyway, would post the charges on each room and, and then uh, you would have to make sure that, that, that everything was in balance. And it would be maddening because it would be 3 a.m. and you'd be off by a nickel and you'd comb carefully through every certain ledger, every single ledger to find that nickel. And, uh, and so we're going through utility rates and looking at, at the, the tariff sheets uh, and where you've got, you know, rates in different categories that are out to the, the 12 decimal and, and looking for the value. It's, it's a real intricate process, but... Um, and one that always changes. I mean, that's yeah. one of the things that you and I have talked about is that the economics of solar deals are based on, in large part, on the rate that's offset. And yet there's no guarantee that that rate is going to be in place over the life of, certainly over the life of the solar system, 20, 25 years. So. Exactly. Well, you know, yeah, rates have become a, a big component. And, you know, there's, there's so much variation in, all the 50 states and then one of the big vari variations is is the, the way they're served you know it, it's either by a municipal utility or an owned utility and there are different rate structures and different policies and it can be so different and so the, the devil really is in the details and one thing that I've come to discover and this really surprises me is how many customers how many businesses certainly how many residents really have no idea how their power bill works. And to me, that would be the first point of understanding. If I want to reduce my bill, either through you know, becoming more efficient or deciding when I should use power or not, or you know, how I could affect it in terms of what I pay, I would pay close attention to that. And it shocks me that, that most people don't. I think I... I call it uh, uh, spreadsheet-itis, that, that maybe CEOs don't, they don't look at their bills, they, they see a bottom line that's already, uh, you know, they, 
it, it's averaged in some different way that really makes sense for the way they use power. And, and so they know what a general cost is, but they really haven't thought about it in terms of, of, of its ultimate impact on the bottom line, how they could affect it. Right, and then I, and then I sort of fast forward that to this day and age when we're we're looking when we look going to a, a corporate site or a school site or municipal facility, you know, we're thinking in terms of energy efficiency. We're thinking in terms of that loading order that comes from the PUC. Where what can we what can we conserve first? That's the cheapest thing to do. Then how can we layer on some solar? How does that offset various rates? Now we've got storage that adds a whole other, really, it's another level of con complexity of the equation. And I know that I know that we have sophisticated software to to sort that all out. But back to the back to the owner of a facility or this chief financial officer that doesn't even understand his power bill, how do we how do we go from that place of relative naivety to getting them into a really comprehensive energy deal? Pretty tricky stuff. Yeah, it is, and, and sometimes it, the, it's, it's the industry people who have to take the lead. That, that for instance, the rage in, in energy storage at the moment is is demand rate clipping. So they say, you know, that that's one thing that people fail to understand that, that a good portion of their bill is is not with the amount of electricity they use, but but how much of it they use at a particular time that kind of sets the peak for them, and so. You know, you could you could be averaging, let's say, a hundred kilowatt of demand, but there's, you know, at noon on Friday it spikes up to 130 and then back down, and so the energy storagers are energy storage companies are saying, we can address that and clip that peak, so you know, you're just using your battery at that moment, not not demanding more from the power company. So we'll we'll cap your expenditure at, you know, a hundred kilowatts times the rate, not 130 and and that's where they've kind of they've been training people. You know, you can look at this. We can we can help you. Um, mm -hmm. So I think it's often led by the industry. The industry will find out what what's working and, and how they can penetrate and, and make their deals. And then it's that communication with the customer, getting that customer comfortable with moving forward or comfortable taking a third party financing yeah. scheme. Well, what about we talked a little bit about accomplishments, and you talked about Capital Group and. The Santa Monica, School, Santa Monica Malibu Unified School District. You know, when you when you reflect back, what were what were some of the challenges that uh, I don't know if they kept you up at night or you know, I mean, here's this burgeoning industry. Everybody wants to go solar. We're in sunny Southern California. You know, what what are some of the things that you've seen that have really hampered the industry? Well, I I would say that cost is the is the main thing, of course, but that has that has so reduced in this industry that it's it, it's it, people are having the same battle, but they're having it on a you know at a, at a lower level. I mean, when I started, uh, the the going rate for probably residential cost was about ten dollars a watt, and maybe commercial was more like six or seven dollars a watt, and, and that has plummeted down to you know under two dollars a watt for commercial and and three dollars a watt for Residential, and so uh, you know, people have talked about uh, about reducing the cost to the point where solar becomes comparable to other types of generation. And I, I, I feel like we're there already. And that, that then the market takes over. It's not uh, the company that gets the most uh, U.S. subsidy or the company that 
that um, can take advantage of, of particular incentives in different areas. It, it's almost like everybody can take advantage of it. Um, well, so we saw we saw the cost come skyrocketing down. I mean, like the residential system that cost right. ten bucks uh, ten years ago, yeah, is probably three bucks now, something right. like that. And commercial systems even in the two dollar a watt range, but. We also saw in that same time frame, we saw the, the California Solar Initiative, the infamous CSI, mm -hmm. go through its degressive incentives structure, yes. where those incentives dropped away. We, we've seen the investment tax credit uh, kind of hang in there, although we thought that it was going to be taken away, that 30% tax credit. Now it's on a, on a calendar going down. We've had depreciation benefits change. We had double accelerated depreciation mm -hmm. about five years ago. There's always all these changes that, that change the economics of a deal and now is this whole uh, proposal by the utilities to shift the peak periods and to move the peak periods that we all as consumers pay the most power price the highest price for to move it into the sort of late afternoon and early evening and missing most of the solar production so is that frustrating to you as a person when we have all these variables or is that just all part of this challenge well, it's certainly all part of the challenge. The frustrating part is, is just when you've explored a sweet spot that you can, you know, recommend, and you think that, hey, as long as the option R exists, this is the way to go, and then you find out, oh, well, that's on a capacity that's going to expire. So then you'll there'll have to be something beyond that, and then, you know, maybe this is a great time for the for the utilities to start thinking, well. If we need to shift our, our, our the way we charge for power based on the way people consume it and what's available, and as we shift to later time periods, like like the, literally talking about moving the peak from 12 to 6, 12 p.m. to 6 p.m., moving it to 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. So that that's quite a shift, and it it takes it uncomfortably out of the shower hours when solar is most potent. So I, I think that that the the, the benefactor will be the storage industry because they've got the means to you know store it when you when you generate it and then dispatch it when when the sun isn't shining so I think that that will be that, that will be a boon to the to the storage industry although with more cost to I mean just obviously more cost to our clients that need to not only go solar but to add storage to that true so true. interesting um, what about what about SPI? You were just in Vegas uh, last week or the week before at Solar Power International, and as you cruise uh, the floor, mm -hmm. uh, what's going through your mind? Well, one is uh, how many how many players and aspects there are to the show. There were there were over seven hundred uh, exhibitors there, so it was a big show, and. Um, you kind of just just by walking around, you get a sense for who are the big players in, in any one aspect. You know, who who's who are the biggest booths in, in displaying their modules, uh, in their inverters, in uh, the, the the racking, you know, technology and and in batteries. So you you get a sense of that, and you you start to see uh, players emerge like. Maybe five years ago, I, I didn't know who Trina Solar was, and now they're like number one, and they have a huge booth and a huge outreach to you know all of, all of their customers. So you you get a sense for you know who's up and who's down in the industry. Um, 
or, or who's re resurging. I, I, Solar World was not the last show I went, but they were at, at, at this show, so I think maybe they're they're trying to make a comeback. So you you get a sense for that. You get a sense for the scale too that um, so much of, of solar development is on the utility side. That you know utilities are buying twenty megawatt, fifty megawatt, hundred megawatt uh, you know plants, and so you know there's a good portion of the industry that is sort of aimed at that kind of development. So you're looking at companies that are capable of, of putting down ground mounts that cover you know 50 acres, and then they're going to host solar panels. And you know one of the top solar panel manufacturers is is First Solar, and as you know they're they're atypical because they're not PV. It's it's um, the the thin film solar, and so yeah, not the, not the crystalline, but it's the amorphous. Right, and and they're 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 one of the top 10 manufacturers, but you don't see them on buildings, you don't see them on homes. It's almost all utility scale. And uh, you think, wow, that, there's a massive market that we don't... Well, does that make you think that, that we'll go towards a utility scale sort of predominance, or do you think we'll, we'll continue to have a mix of utility scale and then sort of distributed generation, rooftop well, I, sort of net metered stuff? Yeah. I think that we would continue to have a, a, a mix of Different, different things. I, I certainly see it growing on on the utility scale side. It just it just makes more sense in, in terms of the the amount of power we consume as a nation, and that while there are benefits for homeowners to have solar and for businesses to have solar, in general, if you can take a big fifty megawatt or hundred megawatt plant and, and have that maximizing the production on on that plant, you know, I mean they they do it by adjusting the tilt or following the sun or, you know, they, they can maximize it. So I, I think that's very helpful. And, and same thing with storage on that side, on that scale, it, it, it's important. Uh, I was just reminded again, driving back from Las Vegas and you pass the, the giant, amazing looking Ivanpah towers that are using the, the mirrors to reflect the, the, the sunlight for concentrated solar. And I, and uh, just the scale of that is, is, is really interesting to me, um, even though I think that they may have, the, have some issues like everybody else with, wow, solar's gotten so cheap that, that even this technology maybe is a little bit too expensive. But, um, and then at the same time, it seems to me that more people are interested in, in being self-sufficient and having a power source that they can depend on and looking beyond just solar on their roof, but adding storage and even contemplating microgrids so that they've got... It's funny to me that so many people thought they had power just because they had solar panels, that when the grid went down, they would continue to operate. And then they discover, oh, that this doesn't work that way. <laughs> Disappointing. Yeah, yeah. But but now there's, there's, there are more and more means to allow people to do that, either by a single inverter that's capable of, you know, running a, an extension cord to if you want to power a few things, to designing your home to be a microgrid and to island, as they say, and just operate independently when the grid goes down. So I think there'll always be that kind of demand too. So, so um, yeah, I hope it grows exponentially in all categories. That would yeah, be great. I think you know, it, seems, it seems that it really is happening right in front of our eyes. Um, let's use the last few minutes of this podcast to get a little bit of insight you know, into who you are and what makes you tick. And where were you born and raised? 
in California. Um, I moved around as a as a little kid, so I was in the Bay Area, in Oakland, and Berkeley, and Hayward, and Fremont. Been, I went to high school in the Central Coast, uh, in Santa Maria, and then I left the state to go to school. I went to school in Texas and Louisiana for my undergraduate degree. And I really missed California. So even though my family moved away, I decided I would, after college, I would definitely come back. And so I did. In, in 1976, I came back to L.A. And I don't see why people don't live anywhere else. I mean, everybody <laughs> should live right here. But it, uh, that's, that's where traffic comes so from. So who were your, uh, yeah, that is where traffic comes from and smog and all those <laughs> yeah. nasties. But uh, who, who really influenced you? Do, you? do you have any mentors in your life that you can point to or? Or not? Well, um, I would say that that some of my college experiences uh, helped shape me. In fact, when I was in in in, uh, in school, I participated in speech and debate activities. In, in, in a college, I, I was on the debate team. And the last year, when I was a senior, the debate topic was uh, about energy supply. A debate topic is always affirmatively worded, resolved that the United States should control the supply and utilization of energy. And, and then it, it launches an enormous amount of, of research because, um, you know, more than, more than needing that information to pass a test or get a good grade, you need that information so you won't be humiliated in a debate round. <laughs> so it really forces people to, 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 to study and I, I think that that period of time when I didn't know anything about anything and I, about energy and I learned a lot about utility grids and I learned about solar and I learned about uh, you know, hydrogen-based economy. There were lots of different aspects to it. And, and so years later when it came time to think, wow, what, what would I like to do? I, I would drift back to those memories and those thoughts and like whatever did happen to that hydrogen economy I was talking about, where is it? Where where is solar now? And I, and I kind of embraced that. Those. So I would say that um, my my years as a as a debater probably had more impact on me than my years as a college student. So I, I was kind of grateful to you know to to the opportunity to do that and travel and and, uh, and explore these topics. One year it was medical care. One year it was uh, information gathering. And, it was energy, so it was all always very interesting. Um, and you live you live in Santa Monica, and I, I just love the story of and you've got a great wife and three kids, uh, and I love the story of you guys buying the bigger house, <laughs> and then deciding that that wasn't the quality of life that you wanted, and you came back to the little house. And uh, well, it's true. I, I, I hadn't thought about it. it. It looked all so appealing, so so big and shiny, and then. You realize, wow, this is like a hike from my bedroom down to the kitchen, and even even the giant kitchen with with a giant center console that had burners and sinks, and you'd have to walk all the way around to the refrigerator and then all the way back. And uh, you know, we hadn't been there long enough to truly furnish the house, but we kind of felt lost, like we were in a big cavern a little bit. So it didn't it didn't feel cozy, and so when it came time to decide. Uh, which house that we wanted to hang on to, the one that we had, our thousand foot square house, foot house where we, that we were renting, or this 3,600 square foot house that we were buying, 
we thought we like the we like the little one that yeah. it was cozy, <laughs> so that we went back to that. Yeah. And what I, I know you got the, the kids are a, a huge part of your life and supporting your your wife's teaching, but what, what would you say fires you up on a, a daily basis? What is it that gets you going? Well, I'm kind of a, a political junkie. I, I'm addicted to uh, Rachel Maddow and, and, and MSNBC and, and certainly all the things that are going on right now really, really get my blood going. And uh, so every day I'm, I'm looking for new evidence that, that, uh, uh, that insanity will, will be vanquished. And, and you know, so I, I'm kind of following that, oh, the whole Trump investigation, which is... That's what, I, that's what I want to see in the paper in the morning. What's new? Yeah. <laughs> so I, 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 I get a kick out of, out of following all that. And, and maybe like everybody else in the country, you know, living in Santa Monica where it's so vastly liberal, yeah, at least I, I have the comfort of being surrounded by like-minded people. <laughs> yeah. If I saw a Trump sign in somebody's line, I probably would have a fit. <laughs> <laughs> well, very good. That's probably a good place to leave it. I think uh, this has been a great conversation. And, you know, I thank you uh, deep down, not just for this conversation, but for everything you've done. It's uh, You're not only um, a very talented individual, but you're a nice guy to be around. And you got a lot of, uh, a lot of humor and, and humility uh, that I think go a long way. So thank you for being you and for joining us here today. Thanks. We'll do, we'll do 10 more years of the promotion. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, yeah. It's tried and true.